How are we doing, church? Thank you so much for taking time to connect with us today. Good morning to everybody at our Crescent campus. It's great to be with all of you. Hello to everyone who is at St. Greg's watching, and to everyone at home, thanks for joining us. If you have a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. 1 Samuel chapter 16 is where we're going to be at today. This is week number two of our series called Be Bold. And in this series, we're talking about being bold in the steps God is calling us to take in our walk with Jesus Christ and how we can trust fully in his promises. Um, I'll start today's message off like this. I want to start by talking about traveling because it's the summertime. And everybody's gearing up to go on vacation or take little trips. Um, Traveling, for me, um, traveling brings out the best in me and the worst in me. Anybody else like that? Like, I enjoy traveling in regards to getting to the destination. What I don't enjoy about traveling is the process. And because I'm a pastor, God makes sure... Every single time that I travel, something crazy happens because I have to have illustrations. And so back in March, uh, I went to a conference in Orlando and I'm on the plane and everything was going well. And the plane started to get on its descent. If, If you've ever flown, you know what I'm talking about. When the plane descends, you know that within 10, 15, 20 minutes, you're probably going to be on the ground. At that point, you can look out the window. I don't look out the window. I don't sit by the window. I can look out the window if the person has it open. I'll sit by the window. I'm an aisle person because I don't like to be trapped in. And so I got to be like in the aisle, um, even though the cart comes by and like smashes my elbow and stuff all the time and always yell. Anyway, that's another message for another time. But but you can look out the window and, and you can see the land. Land, you can see water or, or whatever. And then you hear the landing gear go down. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Like you, you, can, you can't see the landing gear go down, but you can hear the landing gear go down. And so I'm looking out this window, looking across the, the people that are sitting next to me, and, and I'm like, okay, awesome. Like I'm almost here. Like I'm almost at my destination. It's going to be great. And then the plane starts to level out, and it, and it just starts flying level again, again, and it, and it starts to bank really hard. If you've ever been in a plane and it banks really hard, like, you understand that. And then you heard the landing gear come back up. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess we're going to fly around because I guess we're on, like, the scenic tour of Orlando or something. I have no idea. And then the pilot comes over the intercom, and he says, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. Hold up. That's something you never want to hear your pilot, your doctor, or your dentist say. I'm sorry. Like, you never want to hear it from those three people. But he said, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. They're telling us where air traffic is a little bit extra today. And because of that, we're going into a holding procedure. Now, holding procedure is code for holding pattern, which is code for, this is going to drive you absolutely crazy, Ryan, because now you're going to be stuck on a plane and you're not going to like it because there's nothing you can do about it. And now all the babies are going to start screaming. And, and now we're stuck on a plane. Nothing you can do. It's awful. And I'm probably sure at, at this point, it, it, and this is probably an exaggeration, it felt like two hours. It might have been like two minutes. I don't know. But it felt like two hours that were flying around our destination. I could see it. Like, I could look out the window. I, 
I can see it. Like we're, we're up in a place like you're flying around. You can see other planes. I don't know if you've ever had this before, but you can see other planes like across the way that are doing the same thing with you. I feel like I can hit the call button. You know what I'm talking about? Like ding, the flight attendant comes over and I just be like, hey, give me a parachute. Like I, I'm tired of being in this plane. Like, like, I, I, like I'll, I'll be no trouble to you. Just open the door. I'll just jump out and, and we'll go. After about five more minutes, I was like, heck with this, man. There's a, like a pond down there. Like I, I could just hit the water. I don't even need the parachute because I did not enjoy the holding pattern. I didn't go on vacation to be in a holding pattern. I didn't sign up for holding pattern flight. And then when we landed, I was in a holding pattern with the rental car company for two and a half hours. See, here, here's the point. Nobody that I've ever met that's ever been involved in any type of travel, airplane travel, car travel, train travel, motorcycle travel, what any kind of travel enjoys being in a holding pattern. But for some of us today, that's where we are in life. And it has nothing to do with a trip. It has nothing to do with an airplane flight. It has to do with where we are spiritually. Maybe you're not quite where you thought you would be at this point in your life. And, and you know at some point in your past, God has spoken something to you. Like you know that God has spoken a next step to you or he's spoken something into your life or, 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 or you felt like one of his promises were directly towards you. Like God has spoken something into your life. You feel like that promise is there. You felt like at one point you're close to God. You were connected with God. You were on a journey. You were on your way. But all of a sudden, spiritually, for whatever reason, you find yourself in a holding pattern. Well, the same thing that was true about me on that airplane that day, it's true about us spiritually. When we get in a holding pattern, we want to get out. We want to get, no matter what it takes, we want to get out of that holding pattern. And oftentimes, we'll bail. We'll bail on God. We'll bail on our friends. We'll just bail on everybody. And so today's message is going to specifically be for the people that feel like you're in a holding pattern and you're not quite sure what to do. And, 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 and it's for you to learn how to be bold and trusting in God's word. In fact, I'll give you my main point before I even get into the message today. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. If you don't hear anything else I say today, this, this is what you got get. This is what you came to church here today for. God's word is true and can be fully trusted. God's word for you is true and can be fully trusted. You, you could take the to you part out. God's word is true and can be fully trusted. Maybe there's somebody here, and I understand what this is like because we've been talking about God speaking to us next steps and, and God speaking these things to us and God directing us on our path. And maybe you feel like that God has spoken something to you and into you and all of a sudden you feel like you're in a holding pattern. And in the holding pattern, I, and I get this, and I'm not dogging you, I'm not making fun of you. I'm telling you, I've been here, I'm, I'm one of you. You begin to doubt, did I hear God? Do, can I even hear God? Heck, does God even exist? I mean, those are the questions that we wrestle with, yes or no. And so today I wanna talk to you about about this by diving into a guy in the Bible um, named David. Now, if you're a Bible person, you automatically know who David is. David did some great things. If you're not a Bible person, you've probably heard David and Goliath. That's this David. Let me set this story up. In Israel, there was a king, and his name was Saul. And Saul went absolutely psycho. At first, Saul was a really good king. 
But then he lost his mind. Like Saul just went just crazy. So God's getting ready to replace Saul as king. And so God tells Samuel, Samuel is a prophet in that time period. And he tells he tells Samuel, he says, hey, I want you to go to Jesse's house. There's a guy named Jesse. And Jesse's got a few sons. He says, I want you to go to Jesse's house. And, and one of his sons, I want you to anoint as the next king of Israel. And so this is, this is a great story. Um, you, you can read it sometimes. It's, it's fantastic. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house, and he finally winds up seeing David. There's, there's this process. He sees one son. It's not the right son. He sees the next son. It's not the right son. And then... And then Jesse's like, well, I got this other son. He's down with the sheep, you know, but he's just a kid. You don't want to see him. He's like, no, I want to go see him because God said one of your sons. I need to do something with him. And so there's this process, a whole other message for another time. But he finally gets to David. And, and this is what happens in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. So as David stood there amongst his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. So he's the youngest one, right? He's, he's, not, he's not the one anybody would have expected. Anointed David with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. This is powerful. Don't miss this. David, at this point in the story, is 17 years old. 17 years old. How old is he? 17. And at 17 years old, he gets told by the prophet of the nation, one day you're going to be king of the entire nation of Israel. At 17. At 17, he's told he's going to be the king of the entire, this is important, the entire nation of Israel. Now, at 17, I'm sure that's a lot to process. I'm 49. Can you, can you imagine being told at 17 that you're going to be a king? I have a hard enough time at 49 being a pastor and leading a church. I can't imagine what it would be like to be told at 17 you're going to be the leader of a nation. Can you? And this wasn't some weird, crazy, random person telling him this. This was Samuel, the prophet, telling him. Samuel had credibility. Samuel was legit. And so David at 17 gets told he's going to be the leader of the nation of Israel. And it's awesome. Well, the next chapter in the Bible, 1 Samuel 17, and many of us have heard this story. Once again, it's the story of David and Goliath. David goes in and he kills Goliath. But what's fascinating about this whole thing is how David actually got to the battle. What happens here is, at how old is he? At 17, David gets told, hey, God is going to do this great thing in your life. It's going to be awesome. You're going to lead a nation. But then he gets put hold, He gets put in a holding pattern. Watch what happens in the next chapter. It's so cool. 1 Samuel 17, verse 17. One day Jesse said to David, take, so the dad says to the son. So David's dad tells him, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. So you got David doing DoorDash for his brothers. That's, I don't know if you tried that yet or not, but super cool. But David is DoorDashing right here. Jesse, the dad, tells David, the son, you need to go take food to your brothers. Now, if I'm David, I'm just going to be honest with you. If I'm David, I'm pulling up. I'm sorry, dad. Dad, I'm like, hey, dad, did you forget 
Dad, do you remember when, when Samuel had come here? Put oil on my head? I am anointed. Dad, I'm the king. Remember when he, he didn't put oil on your head, Dad. He didn't put oil on the head of my brothers. I am like the king. So you know what, Dad? Won't you bring me some bread? And Dad, why are you in the kitchen? Why don't you bring me a Diet Coke? I am the king. But David didn't have that attitude. David didn't have that posture. It's essential. D- d- don't miss this. It's essential to have humility when you're in your holding pattern. Because if God can't trust David to take some food to his brothers, how can God trust David to lead an entire nation? There's got to be humility when you're in your holding pattern. This, this is crazy. Verse 19, David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. David wouldn't have even gotten to the battle had he not had a posture of humility. He didn't say, Dad, I'm the king. He didn't show up on the scene and go, oh, what's going on? I'm the king. Let me direct all of you on how to battle and how to beat Goliath. No, 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 no. He walked with humility in his holding pattern. And humility is what brought him to the place where he could actually step into his destiny. Now, this used to bother me because... Um, I was on staff at a church, and I was like the pastor of whatever the senior pastor told me to do. <laughs> and, and I remember one of the things I hated to do was change the church sign. Because we had one of those old school church signs out front with the letters that you had to go out and change. And, and they're dumb. I hate them. I hate all church signs. I do. I know you probably got a story about how your sister read a church sign and met Jesus. Um, There's a story in the Bible I could show you where God used a donkey to talk one time. And it's it's the same thing. Church signs are stupid. Like, like some, like, look at these. Look, look at some of these things. People think they're creative. Too hot to keep changing signs. Send bad Jesus good details inside. God needs spiritual fruits, not religious nuts. Tweet others as you would like to be tweeted. These are so dumb. So, 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 so dumb. I know some of you are like, we at the Outreach Center have one of those signs. Can we start putting sayings? No, 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 we're not. I, 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 uh. See, it like boils up inside of me. One time I was told, hey, go out, change the church sign. Okay, what do you want me to put on? I want you to put this on it. And I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I didn't say that out loud because I like my job. But I remember thinking, God, I'm called and gifted to preach. Why am I doing stupid tasks like changing the church sign? And God spoke to me very clearly. And he said, Ryan, if I can't trust you to do things behind the scenes, if I can't trust you to do what's given to you, then how can I trust you with greater things? Now, I wish I could tell you that my attitude completely changed on the church signs. You can look at me right now and see what I just did there and know that it has it. Like I, like, I still think they're stupid, but I did it. It was one of those things where in the holding pattern, God had to teach me humility. And listen, because David had humility to do this, he saw Goliath. Where everybody else saw an obstacle, he saw an opportunity. That's what we talked about last week, remember? Be bold, walking towards your obstacle. He kills Goliath, 
and he gets promoted. Saul makes him a leader in the army. And David actually goes out and fights and wins some battles and stuff like that. And everything is awesome. Like, like he's stepping in to what God has called him to be. God is taking him from where he was to where God is wants, wants him to be. But it's a process. And through the process, there are problems. Because watch this. Chapter 18, verse 6. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. They're, they're loving it. I mean, this is the song that's at the top of their like Spotify playlist. Everybody loved it. Everybody loved it except Saul. Saul didn't like it. Watch this. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next, they'll be making him their king. (laughs) Funny thing, Saul. (laughs) He's already in line, dude. He's already anointed. But Saul didn't know at this point. Saul had no idea. So the Bible continues to say, so from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. You see that? From that point on. Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Now, this next part gets crazy. Because sometimes, sometimes when you're in a holding pattern, actually not sometimes, every time you've ever been in a holding pattern, every time you face opposition, the enemy is going to try and come and distract you from the promise that God has spoken into you. Every time. Every time the enemy is going to try to come after you to distract you from the promise that God has spoken to you. He does it with David. Watch this. This, this, is, this is an epic distraction. Here we go, verse 10. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that, not today, but later on sometime, we'll talk about what that means. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did every day. But Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. Problem. <laughs> let's, say, let's say Mike is up here with his guitar. Like he's up here singing. He's in his own little happy world. He's leading us. He's singing about the greatness of God, the goodness of God. Oh, God is so good. And all of a sudden, a spear flies by him. And he looks out, and he's like, what the heck, man? Who threw a spear at me? And then another one. Like what's, and then another one. And he looks down and there's Pastor Ryan with a big grin on his face. Like just throwing spear. Like that, that, that's not good. But that's what's happening. David, by the way, I would hit you uh, wherever you are. Like I'm not missing if I'm throwing. Because Mike would probably be shooting back. So I'm going to make sure the first one hits. Anyway, <laughs> David is like, I'm anointed by God. All, all of a sudden... He's at the battlefront. He beats Goliath. He's getting some attention. People are singing songs about him. Next thing you know, opposition. We will always face opposition when we're in the holding pattern. Always. The enemy is going to come after you. He's going to come after me. He's going to come after us in the holding pattern. Hey, listen. If you and the devil aren't butting heads, it means you're walking in the same direction. 
Alright, and so opposition doesn't mean that you're walking in the wrong direction. Opposition is confirmation that you're in the place that God wants you to be. And don't give up the fight that God spoke into you just because you're getting opposition in the holding patterns. Opposition always shows up in the holding pattern. There are people right now that you've wanted to give up because of the opposition. But this is what I've learned. Resistance actually makes us stronger. Like, like think about it. Like when you lift weights, this is for you, this isn't for me, I obviously don't lift weights. Um, but when you lift weights, because of the resistance of the weight, you get sore. That's why I don't lift, because you get sore, right? You get sore, but you get stronger. Resistance doesn't take us out. Sometimes resistance keeps us in the game. And so if you're in the holding pattern and you feel like all hell has broken loose, God's word to you is still true and can be fully trusted. Because see, David hangs around. Like David just like, I don't know, he forgives him. He's just like, whatever, man, Saul just had a bad day or I, I'm not really sure what happened with Saul, but it's cool, man. He, he's just a good guy. And so I guess he's just there. And Saul thinks, well, you know what I need to do is I need to marry him off to one of my daughters. You know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. He's still trying to kill David. And, and, and David's like, like, they have this conversation about marrying one of his daughters, and, and David's like, who am I but a, but a poor man? Like, I can't marry any of your daughters, Saul. I, I could never afford the price. And so Saul marries off his first daughter. But the second daughter, her name, her name is Michael or, or Mikhail. I, I, people say it two different ways, all right? And so we're going to call her Mikhail because it sounds weird to say Michael. And David was interested in her. And so people told Saul, hey, David's interested in Michal. And so back in the day, they had what they would call a bride price. Like the father could demand a price. Like today, you want to marry my daughter? I'm going to need a Hellcat. Like that, that's what I'm going to need. I'm just hypothetically saying that's the price of Chloe, a Hellcat. Maybe, maybe it's a little bit more. I don't, so you want to marry my daughter? I'm going to need something. That's, that's probably where I'm going with that. Well, this is a little weird and this is in the Bible. And maybe you've come to church your entire life and you've never heard this story because this is uncomfortable. I don't like talking about it. If you don't know any of what the following words mean, email John Sampson. John at yourcentralchurch.com. He would love to explain these to you. All right, here we go. Chapter 18, verse 24. When Saul's men reported this back to King David, he told them... <laughs> Tell David that all I want for the bride price is 100 Philistine foreskins. Awkward, right? Vengeance on my enemies is all I really want. All right. But what Saul had in mind was that David would be killed in this fight. Saul is setting David up for failure. And here's where it gets even crazier. And, and I know that you're thinking it can't get any more crazier than that, Ryan. Oh, yes, it can. And, and this is in your Bible. It's not your children's Bible. This is in your adult Bible. Here we go, verse 26. <laughs> David was delighted to accept the offer. I mean, Mikhail must have been smoking hot. Like, that's all I got to say right here. He delighted to take the offer. Before the time limit expired, he and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. Then David fulfilled the king's requirement by presenting all their foreskins to him before the time limit expired. He and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. Then David fulfilled the king's requirements by presenting all of their foreskins to him. 
You think you got a bad job? Can you imagine David's friend, Freddie? Hey, David, what am I going to do today? <laughs> well, Freddie, you're going to do some counting, buddy. Like, that's what you're going to do. So Saul gave his daughter, Michal, to David to be his wife. Now, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to point out. I'm just, can we all agree this scene right here is messy, yes or no? Yes. If they do a full-length movie of the Bible, this scene gets cut every time. Cut! See what I did right there? See that? Oh, listen, all I'm trying to say, I probably shouldn't do that when we preach this live. Um, all I'm trying to say is that it gets messy in the holding pattern. This is messy. This is messy. This is not something that David wanted to do. This was not his life dream. This wasn't his greatest ambition. This wasn't his goal. But he understood when things get messy in the holding pattern, that's not code for us to bail out. That's code that God is working because he's the only one that can take a mess and turn it into a miracle. Amen? Listen, if he can take a bloodstained cross and turn it into an empty tomb, then he can take any situation that we are in right now, no matter how messy they are, and one day, somehow, some way, use that situation for his glory and our joy. Even when it gets messy, he could still bring out a miracle. He's done it in my life over and over and over again. He's done it in your lives over and over and over again. Well, eventually... For David, everything gets to be too much. Saul tries a couple more times to kill David, and David's like, I need to dip. And so David leaves. And the Bible says in chapter 22, verse 1, So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Oldham. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or were just um, discontented. So basically... I mean, you could say, like, David planted a church here. Like, I mean, that's, that's sort of what's happening. Until David was the captain of about 400 men. Now, don't miss this, because this, this is important to draw out of this text. It's here, so we need to talk about it. Pay attention to the people that God brings into your life when you're in your holding pattern. Because those are the people who will stick with you for the rest of your life, no matter what you go through. These people right here, they came to David in a cave. And they stood with him for the rest of his life. Even when his own sons, later on, some of his own sons are going to try to rise up and take over the kingdom. These men went with David. See, David had some friends before he got there. But they were all in the palace. And David, when he left the palace, a lot of these guys didn't go with him. And David will eventually go on, we know this, David will eventually go on to become king. And he would have a lot of attention, and he'll have a lot of recognition, and he'll do some great big huge things. But he trusted the people that God brought to him while he was in his holding pattern. And so when you're in your holding pattern, pay attention to the relationships around you because God will use those relationships to build you up and encourage you in ways you could never imagine. These people never walked away from David. And your friends that God brings to you in the holding pattern are the people you're going to be able to lean on for the rest of your life. You can trust those people. Those are the people that you can trust. But Saul, Saul kept trying to kill David. He's pursuing him all over the place. David's on the run. And then this happens. Now, once again, don't get mad at me. This is the Bible. I'm just going to read you the scripture. 
I'm going to make a couple comments, but that, that's all I'm doing. Like, I'm, this is too good not to make comments in this. Like, this is, this is awesome. And so, but it's just the Bible, all right? So don't get mad at me. Don't, don't start sending emails to the church and, like, asking for my job and all those other things. I'm just reading the Bible. Here we go. Verse 24, uh, or chapter 24, verse 3. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Because they didn't have a Casey's, right? Because, like, if I'm traveling and find a Casey's, got a clean bathroom and everything, you know, everybody's happy. But they didn't have Casey's. Relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now, Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself. And David just happened to be in that cave. Let me ask you this question. Men. I'll just ask the men, all right? How vulnerable are you when you're in a situation like that? Like, you know, when, when you got like the squatty potty thing going on in the cave, when you're just sitting there, everybody getting a good picture of this? Everybody understand what's happening right now? How vulnerable are you in this position right here? Going to the bathroom in the cave like, that's an opportunity for David just to sneak up and kill Saul and end this thing right away. Yes or no? Yes. But you know what? In the holding pattern, you've got to decide if you're going to fight your battles or if you're going to let God fight your battles. Are you going to take things in your own hands or are you going to trust God to take them in his hands? Do you want to handle things in your time or do you want God to handle things in his time. I can remember like this week, this week, very clearly, I was going through something, the guy's saying, you want to fight that battle or you want me to fight that battle, Ryan? Like, like, what do you want to do? You want to do it on your own or you want me to do it? This is an opportunity where David could have killed Saul and ended it all. But watch what happens. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Sometimes, sometimes your friends give bad advice. They do. Like, it happens. We, we talked about that last week. That's how we started out this series, with bad advice. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. I have no idea why. I, I, I honestly, I have no idea what that means. Saul is in this vulnerable position. David sneaks up. Saul evidently isn't paying any attention because you're, you're not looking for anything like this to happen. And Saul just reaches out and grabs his robe and cuts a piece off. I, I don't, or David cuts a piece off. I have no idea why. Verse 5. But then David's conscience began bothering him. In other words, this is, this is the Lord speaking to him. Then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King. Here's that humility again. There's humility in the holding process. There's the trusting God. God, I'm, I'm going to trust you. I'm, I'm, I'm in a holding pattern. God, I'm, I'm going to trust you with this problem rather than taking this problem into my own hands. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I'm a fighter. Like, I am a fighter. And when I have a problem or situations that are just like in front of me, I want to take it into my own hands. And sometimes God says, Ryan, if you want to fight that battle, you can fight it. But when you put your hands in, I'll pull my hands out. 
That, that's what's happening right here in the story. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. How much faith did David have to have in God to let this happen? There's a dude who is trying to kill him over and over and over again. He's in the bathroom or he's in the cave going to the bathroom. He's got all of his men. They could have overwhelmed him, taken it out, ended the problem right here. How much faith does it take not to do that? How much faith does it take to trust in God? How much faith does it take to say, he's the anointed one. It's not my time yet. God always builds our faith in the holding pattern. Don't miss that. God always builds our faith in the holding pattern. Some of us, so, l- listen, some of us would not have the faith that we have today had we not been in a holding pattern a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And listen, if God was faithful then, he'd be faithful again because that's the kind of God that we serve. Amen? David was 17. 17 when he got told he would be the, the king of the nation of Israel. And at 18, he wasn't king And at 20, he wasn't king. And at 25, he wasn't king. And at 27, he wasn't king. And at 28, he wasn't king. But when he turned 30 years old, 13 years later, 13 years later, Saul had been killed in battle. And the people of Judah, which was the the southern part of the kingdom of Israel, in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 4, we see this. Then the men of Judah came to David and anointed him king over the people of Judah. Now on the surface, this is amazing. Oh my gosh, God is doing what he said he would do. David is 30 years old when this happened. David had been in a holding pattern for 13 years. And a lot of people look at this and they say, yeah, David finally achieved his goal. But this is, please please hear this, please hear this, please hear this. Don't ever settle for God's less. Or for, don't ever settle for less than God's best when you're in the holding pattern. Don't ever settle for less than God's best when you're in the holding pattern. Because while this is amazing, and this is absolutely awesome, and while this is spectacular, it's not what God promised to David. God didn't promise David, you're going to be the king of Judah. God promised him what? He's going to be king of the entire nation. Right? So don't settle for less. Listen, you and I need to hold on to what God has spoken to us and into us while we're in a holding pattern. Because sometimes, listen, sometimes we'll look for relief rather than holding on to the promises of God. We'll we'll talk about that later on in a few weeks. But seriously, we will think like, oh, I, I finally got it and this is good enough. When it's not good enough because it's not God's best for you. It's not what God promised you. Do not settle for less than God's best. When God has promised he's going to do it, do not settle. Because watch this. Seven years later, when David was 37, 20 years after the original promise, 20 years, 20 20 years is a long time, yes or no? Yeah, 20 years. 20 years after the 17-year-old kid being told by, by the prophet, you're going to be king, anointing his head with oil. 20 years of his dad being upset or his brothers being upset and people being upset because they weren't chosen to be anointed. 
20 years after that, 2 Samuel tells us, chapter 5, verse 3, So there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel, and they anointed him king of Israel. David was 33 years old when he began the reign in Judah, and he reigned 40 years in all. David was in a holding pattern for 20 years. For 20 years, humility. For 20 years, walking in a mess. For 20 years, trusting that God is faithful rather than taking matters into his own hands. 20 years, he fought battles. And listen to me, he, felt, he fought the same battles then that we fight today. And the testimony of his life is that God's word to you is true and can be fully trusted. It's true. God's word is true. It is true. It is true and can be fully trusted. Somebody here today needs to hear that. God's word to you is true And could be fully trusted. And so if you're in a holding pattern, don't give up. The holding pattern does not mean that God's not at work in your life. The holding pattern means God is at work in your life. And he's going to bring more out of it than you could ever possibly imagine. It might not be in your time, but it'll always be in his time. And his time is always the right time. We need to thank God for the holding patterns he's put us in the past. And thank God that he will be faithful with the holding pattern patterns in the future. Be bold in trusting God. Be bold, church, in trusting God when you don't know what is going on. Be bold in trusting in his word that he speaks to you. Be bold in taking the steps that he tells you to take. Be bold in his promises.